This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 79. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, an email is not a notice of taking deposition. This is just a reminder that while you may be engaged in cordial or not so cordial email discussions with opposing lawyers about a planned date and time for your depositions, the fact remains that most casual emails do not comply with the rules that determine what a proper notice must contain. So for as long as you continue to engage in email exchanges without complying with the requirements of the notice provision of the rule, you have not properly noticed your depositions and the clock on your discovery deadline, if there is one, is still running. Now, why is that a problem? Well, it's illustrated by today's case in the spotlight, where a lawyer who began discussing deposition dates of numerous witnesses months in advance, wound up waiting until days before the anticipated actual deposition date to formally notice them. And as you can guess, because we're talking about it right now, the result was that a judge granted a protective order against the plaintiff's depositions right at the end of the discovery period. So what's the lesson here? You've got to notice your depositions in a way that complies with the rules, number one. Number two, don't be shy about issuing a formal notice once you determine an appropriate date and time for your depositions. In some instances, you may need to issue the notice before you and the other witnesses have nailed down all of the nuances and details, such as whether everyone is or is not available on the chosen dates. But you've got to get your notice out the door. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be discourteous, but I am saying don't let grass grow under your feet. Don't let time pass. Have your dialogue with opposing lawyers about the best dates and times, but stay on that. And once you've got things locked down to your satisfaction, issue the notice. Maybe you'll have to amend it. Maybe at some point you'll have to change the date and re-notice it. But get those dates set and get your notice out the door because time has a way of passing and before you know it, you've run out of it. In the case at hand, which I will refer to as the Bernstein case, full citation in the show notes, the plaintiff's counsel there sent an email on September 2, 2021 to the defense lawyer saying that he wanted to depose 13 specifically named individuals and was looking for availability in the next two to three weeks. So again, that was September 2. A week later on September 9, plaintiff's counsel sends another email with a letter attached that says, uh, in summary, please accept this correspondence as a renewed request for depositions of the following individuals as soon as possible. Again, listing 13 names. All right, so that was September 9. The discovery deadline in this case happened to be October 21, uh, 2021. And according to the defendant's motion for protective order, at least as of October 13, 2021, one week away from the close of discovery, the plaintiffs had still not yet formally noticed a single deposition. So what happens next? Well, what happened next is what sometimes happens and you get in a jam at the end of discovery. You wind up noticing depositions on short notice and that's what the plaintiffs did according to the defense's motion for protective order. After the close of business on October 14, 2021, the plaintiff noticed seven depositions, apparently uh, the first of which were to begin just four days later, and again, seven days before the end of discovery. So the defendant files a motion for protective order 
and points to a couple of different sources of authority to block these last-minute depositions. In that particular federal district where this case uh, was filed, there's apparently a local rule that says if a deposition is noticed on less than seven days' notice, as required by the local rule, no protective order is even necessary to prevent the deposition from taking place. Uh, but the defendant in this case cited a second source of authority, and that was Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 32A5A, which is subtitled Deposition Taken on Short Notice. As you know from episode 24 of this podcast, where we did a deep dive into that subsection, that federal rule says that you can't use a deposition against a party where the deposition was taken on less than 14 days notice if you meet certain uh, preliminary conditions. So at least in federal court, these depositions, as noticed just a few days before they were scheduled to take place and just a week from the close of discovery, were dead on arrival. Even if there had been no local rule in that district, the federal judge, according to the cases we cited in episode 24, would have had no discretion in forbidding the plaintiff from using the depositions against the defendant if the conditions under the rule were met, which is generally simply that the defendant, in this case, the party receiving the notice, timely file a motion for protective order that remains pending at the time of the depositions. You know, scheduling problems and scheduling difficulties with opposing lawyers arise all the time, but they are so easily avoidable. When I talk to lawyers about noticing depositions, I see that many are concerned about appearing unprofessional or discourteous by unilaterally noticing depositions when they've not been able to get cooperation from an adversary, so they just sit tight and hope that things work out. That's not the way to do it. You've got to get your notice out. So make your request for deposition dates early on and follow up persistently to get a commitment for those dates and times. I've talked about this in prior episodes with respect to my own practice. I generally ask an adversary five times to work with me on getting dates. And if after the fifth request, I don't have a commitment, I will then unilaterally notice the depositions. And I don't mean five requests in five days, and I don't mean unilaterally noticing them for a particularly inconvenient time, but I'm going to get my deposition notices out the door one way or the other. If I need to talk with my adversaries after I've noticed the depositions about moving the dates and times, I'm happy to do so. But once I've issued that notice, I will not withdraw it until I have binding commitments to a new date that works for me. And I can tell you, and if you've done this, you know as well, that once you've unilaterally noticed a deposition, you will usually have the attention of your adversaries and you will get those uh, binding commitments to dates that work for everyone. But by getting those notices out the door, no one's going to run out the clock on me. No one ever gets me to sit still while we're going back and forth and back and forth about what works, what doesn't, who's available, who isn't. I'll kvetch for a while, but then I'm going to set my depositions. And once I set them, I'm in the driver's seat. Again, the point is not to be discourteous. The point is to make your request for cooperation and then to protect your client by getting that notice set if the cooperation never comes. You've probably heard me say that I'm not a huge sports fan. I just haven't had time. My entire life has been devoted to my practice and to my children. 
but I often use sports analogies because that's a form of adversarial contest whose concepts is accessible and understandable to most people. And on that note, do you know that there are actually entire books that have been written for football coaches on clock management alone, meaning how to craft your plays so that you use as little time as possible to be able to run more plays, or how to use as much time as possible if you're ahead so that when your adversary gets the ball back, they won't have much time to run plays. Running out the clock on an adversary is an art form all its own. There are very complicated concepts associated with running down the clock to put an adversary in a football game in a bad spot. Well, same here. If an opponent is dragging their feet on getting you deposition dates, it's in the realm of running out the clock on you. Even if that's not their intention, think of it that way. There's just no reason to find yourself in a situation like the lawyers in this case, where you're up against the discovery deadline or forced to set depositions on short notice. All right? One last thought. Could you, if you wanted to keep the conversation informal, but still comply with the rules, could you actually send an email that effectively counts as a notice of taking deposition that complies with the rules? Well, I suppose you could. And that's because the rules don't describe the format of the notice. They only address the content. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30B1, which is mirrored by the majority of uh, state court rules on depositions, says, quote, a party who wants to depose a person by oral questions must give reasonable written notice to every other party. Okay, so far so good. The notice must state the time and place of the deposition and, if known, the deponent's name and address. If the name is unknown, the notice must provide a general description sufficient to identify the person or the particular class or group to which the person belongs, end quote. Could you put that in an email? Sure. You could send an email that says, Dear Mike, this is my notice that I intend to depose your witnesses on February 20. I'll depose Jane Doe at 9 a.m., John Doe at 10 a.m., and Cookie Doe at 11 a.m. I will depose them all at All World Reporting, 800 8th Avenue, New York, New York, 10019. You could put notice of taking deposition in the subject line with the case name or in the body of the email and copy the court reporter. Again, the rules don't spell out the particular format that a notice has to take. It doesn't say it has to be on a particular type of paper. It doesn't say it has to be on a piece of paper. Uh, now, all this assumes that your jurisdiction allows electronic service of the notice and electronic signature which is what the email would do, although I suppose you could send the email and then fax it uh, or have the email hand delivered, whatever works. The point is that you've got to comply, strictly comply with the provision of your applicable rule that spells out what the notice must contain. If an adversary or a judge is looking for a basis to deny you your depositions, Technical deficiencies in your notice, such as informal email chat, will be the basis they need to deny them. So give the opposing lawyers fair opportunity to work with you. I say five times. Some lawyers have emailed me after one of my podcast episodes where I said, wait five times, and they say, no, that's too many. I wait three. Some say four. I personally like five because if I have waited several days in between each of the five requests, it becomes very hard for an adversary to legitimately argue to a judge 
that they couldn't have come up with binding dates over the course of a month or so. It's just not plausible. So that's the message of the day. Be courteous, be professional, be persistent. Don't let an adversary run the clock down on you with informal email chit chat. All right, as always, case citation in the show notes. I hope you're having a great week. We greatly appreciate your listening to the podcast and we'll talk to you again soon.